0: Let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of Jonah. There's a handout that's being passed out. We're going to look at Jonah chapter 4, the final chapter of Jonah. Again, it's good to be back with you. I feel like I'm right at home. No, no. Uh, Ron Biggs, various other people. Um, I remember uh, Ron tried to teach, I think, both my sons how to play a trumpet, and he said they were hopeless. Well, he was right. (laughs) So, anyway, but it is enjoyable to be back with you. This morning, we're going to look at the book of the final chapter of the book of Jonah. And we're going to speak about correcting spiritual pride. Correcting spiritual pride. Jonah obviously had a problem with spiritual pride. If you're, we're not going through the first three chapters, but if you're familiar with the book, in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah is not where he should be. He did not want to preach to the Ninevites, and further, when he does, and it looks like God's going to spare him, he's very, very angry. He's ticked. Now I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things about Jonah I like. We're comparable. I mean, uh, he had a real problem with his arrogance, his spiritual pride. Yet I think we all struggle with that. I don't think I'm unique when I say I I fight spiritual pride. Uh, That's been a problem all my life. And if I think we're all objective and honest with ourselves, you have the same problem. In fact, uh, Ben Franklin said this about pride. There is perhaps not one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had been completely over, I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. Well, I think that's true. I mean, I've known some people that claim that they got victory over pride the fact that they were telling me that with a smile on their face means they hadn't solved the problem. So this is something that we all struggle with. Pride is a problem for Christians and non-Christians. However, it is especially egregious for those of us who claim to follow the Lordship of Christ. Because, see, that's antithetical to the very nature of our repentance and faith at that point, we were fully submissive to Christ's Lordship. But then afterwards, I lose sight of that, and it's about my way. It's not "Thy will be done, but my will be done." That's the problem we face as believers as we grow in grace. However, Jonah gives me does hope, does give me hope in my sanctification process, and there's three ways that he gives me hope, or at least we can, we can look at him comparatively, analogously. First of all, as Jonah had to fight the good fight of faith, as the book of Jonah reflects, I must also struggle with fighting the good fight of faith. Second, Like Jonah's sanctification, as Jonah's sanctification was marred by his arrogant disobedience to God's clear cut will. By the way, God was very specific when he spoke to Jonah. He told him to go to Nineveh and to preach to him. It it was a message any child could have gotten, any message any older person could have gotten. It was crystal clear. And yet, because of his arrogant disobedience, he ran away from the Lord. May I say, in those senses, I've bonded with Jonah. I struggle that still today, and I won't ask it to ask my wife, but she's got great examples. Well, I don't think they're that good, but she probably would. Well, that's the nature of uh, pride. I think in that sense, we've all bonded with Jonah. Third, as Jonah's God was preserving him and mysteriously working to bring him into genuine obedience from his inner man, I take confidence that God does this in my life as he did in Jonah's life. God is extremely patient with Jonah. And I thank God because he is also a God of love and patience with his people. My growth and sanctification has always been inhibited by my pride. It is the same struggle with pride that Jonah had to deal with. So we want to look at Jonah chapter 4 and see how God showed him his problem with pride. God makes it abundantly clear to Jonah. This is his major struggle. So what I want to do here is I'm going to divide this uh, chapter in two ways, as you can see on your handout. Um, You can follow along with this as we go through this. But notice, first of all, we want to notice the demonstration of spiritual pride. This is reflected in Jonah's complaint in verses 1 to 4. Let's let's look at this section, but as a warm-up, Let me read from chapter 3, verses 6 to the end of the chapter. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, Do not let people or animals... Seems a little strange, but that shows you how far he was willing to go in showing God he meant business. So don't let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God... Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now notice, that's the backdrop for chapter 3. We pick up chapter four with verse one. Notice the but. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. The fact that in 40 days, Jonah doesn't see God carrying out his destruction of him, he is he is irritated. He's ticked. He's he's a man who has at this point. Something almost like an uncontrollable anger. He can't shake it. So let's look at verses 1 to 4 of Jonah chapter 4. I want you to notice A here on my handout. The complaint is reflected in an angry prayer in verses 1 to 3. In these three verses, we should notice Jonah's anger in verse 1 and his actual prayer in verses 2 to 3. Look at verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. In fact, in Hebrew, it puts a really strong emphasis here. It's hard to pick up from an English translation, but he's exceedingly hot. That's what the Hebrew text indicates. So he's he's angry. Notice then he actually prays to the Lord. We find this in verses 2 to 3. Notice here in verse 2, his his prayer describes God and his situation. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. What he means by that, he's trying to forestall, he's trying to prevent the Ninevites from being spared. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah, when it comes to God's goodness to the Ninevites, he didn't like it one bit. So that's uh, Jonah's prayer. And notice with this prayer, the very reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he was afraid God would actually spare him. May I say this is what I would call pure hatred? He despises the Ninevites. Uh, now, why would he despise the Ninevites? Well, they were the enemies of Israel. He probably knew some prophecies how the Assyrians were going to uh, really destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. Those might have been circulating at this time. It might be that he also knew that uh, they would not become uh, monotheistic. That is, they would not become exclusive worshipers of God. Sometimes uh, some sources will point out how they had this swing towards monotheism. Maybe I should explain monotheism. That means that there's, you worship only one and only one God. Now, it looks like with one of the kings of Nineveh, there was a henotheism practice. That is, they worship one God in the midst of many. There was supposedly this swing in that direction. One of the kings said, Trust in Nabu, trust in him only. Well, if he was trusting in Nabu, I, I could have set him straight. That's the wrong God. This is Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel. Not any sun God, not any other type of God. Uh, Not even the God of our own hearts, our idols. He is the true God of the people of God. The true God who gave us the Bible, the scriptures. That's the Lord God. So... We're not exactly sure what all the, re- all the reasons were why Jonah despised the Ninevites, but should I say he shouldn't have, just from the very get-go? You know, I tell uh, my seminary students, all, all people I can respect, now, I view Christians with a different level of respect, but all people are created in the image of God It does not matter where they're from. We're all fellow image bearers. In that sense, we can respect and should respect all people. Jonah apparently forgot about the image of God in man because he viewed these people as his enemies. So look at his prayer in verse 3. Notice this request to God. Now, Lord, take away my life. Can can you imagine? He doesn't want to commit suicide, but he says, God, you take away my life. And notice he continues with this prayer, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, why would he say that? Well, may I suggest to you that when he went to Nineveh, we have no word that he preached repentance. He says, uh, in 40 days, in chapter 3, verse 4, you will be overthrown. He doesn't tell them to turn to God. I take it that that's the big idea for his message. The fact is, maybe his prophetic pride is on the line. God is not destroying them. He told them they were, he told them they were going to be overthrown within 40 days. It's not happening. It could be just his national pride. But friends, it is clear-cut pride. That's what drove him. So to me, here we have this prophet wishing to die when in chapter 2 he was excited for life when he was thrown up by that great fish. But now he wants it ended. Well, notice also verse 4, point B, the complaint is challenged by God's question. Notice how God challenges him. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Do you have the right? Is it my gift to you to have that capability to be so angry? And the answer is no. He doesn't have that right. But Jonah doesn't recognize it. He's a little dense here. And so he does wish for death. Well, the point is, I don't think God's so much upset with Jonah's prayer. It's the attitude. It's his anger. It's his pride that bothers him. That's the real issue here. You know, I noticed that some preachers I occasionally listen to or listen to quite a few sermons Uh The word pride is a bad thing, supposedly. Well, friends, that's not true. Take an English dictionary. God calls himself the pride of Israel. Are we going to say God's bad? Well, I think of this passage in 2 Corinthians 5.12. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart." Well, the point is, there is a positive pride. Uh, When our children were born, I considered myself a proud parent. When my grandchildren were born, I considered myself a proud grandparent. That doesn't mean it's any of our arrogance. We're thankful for God's gift, and we rejoice in it. That's all pride in some cases of being. However. In the main, pride is usually bad. We're talking something in, jo- in Jonah that was bad. He was not rejoicing in the pride of Israel, the Lord God. And that's what his problem was. So in most juices, pride is not a good thing. In essence, pride is turning away from God and his agenda to take pleasure in ourselves, our agendas, that's what counts. You know, I, you know, I, I rejoice when I write an article and it's published. Writing is an extremely hard thing for me. I know in some of the articles we have in our journal, you know, I'll spend 400, 500 hours. I did a two-part one in two series of our journal that it took me over a thousand hours. Yeah, you know, when I get done, I'm proud, but friends, that's an arrogant pride. Because when I go through it, I'm always going to find an error. But friends, even there, we should rejoice in what's clear in God's revelation, but not what I'm creating. That's an arrogance. And it's contrary to what God expects for his people. He wants us to be a humble people, not an arrogant people. He wants us to be saying, thy will be done, not my will be done. And yet I'm afraid that that is so often the case. We uh, do something, we put our whole heart into it, and in our hearts we know we want a little bit of recognition. Well, friends... Doesn't that hint of some sort of pride? In fact, it does more than hint. (laughs) But the point is, we're plagued by it. Jonah was plagued by it. So here, Jonah was following what he wanted to do, not what God wanted to do. And that's where we struggle like Jonah. We get caught up in our foolish, arrogant, self-aggrandizing ways and it's really not right friends when you or I falter like this we we do reflect a problem with with pride so I think we're all aware of that and it is something we will fight till the day we die by the way I should ask what time are we supposed to be done here 12 o'clock okay that sounds good uh, if we're supposed to be done earlier I always know my message is how I can cut them short I'm a creature of of the clock to one degree or another I mean give or take a few minutes five, ten minutes, fifteen <laughs> I try to keep it to five especially when you get close to that noon hour because everybody's stomach has already turned me out or turned me off so Yeah, I I can handle that. You know, I remember reading this story by that Harry Ironside tells. Harry Harry Ironside told a story about a young Scottish ministerial student, James McDougall. He was a great student. He was also a great speaker. So one morning he was uh, giving a message and he knew he had it. This was it. And he went up into the pulpit with his head held high. And when he got up there and he gave his message, he forgot some parts, he just stumbled. And so when he got done, by the way, that's happened to me a number of times. And uh, when he left, he went down with his head held high the old sexton said if he had gone to the pulpit the way he came down then he would have come down the way he went up now there's a lot of ramifications to that but there is an element of truth Um, I can still remember the first sermon I preached when I was a senior in college was at our home church and I had this half hour message that I wrote out and when I looked over this face, as I got so panicky. I lost where I was in my notes, and we were done in 10 minutes. Well, many said that was one of my greatest sermons. <laughs> but the point is, you get nervous, you fear man. I don't know that that was so much pride, but it was the fear of man. And yet, uh, once you develop a little bit more, you still don't have that as much. But you know you got a good message, and you know this will be it. But friends, that's sheer foolishness. What we really need with our messages is is to pray that the Spirit of God uses the truth that we proclaim. And that's what really counts. So we really need to bathe our lessons in more prayer. Because God uses prayerful, humble messages to exalt him. And it will keep our pride suppressed. So the demonstration of Jonah's spiritual pride is reflected in his complaint in verses 1 to 4. Since Jonah was a true believer and a prophet, how was God going to deal with this issue of his pride? Well, Verses 5 to 11 shows us how God corrects the spiritual pride. Notice Roman numeral 2, the lesson correct, correcting spiritual pride. Notice how this lesson focuses on God's sovereign role in showing compassion. We'll break down these last few verses in the two sections. First of all, We'll see in verses 5 to 8, there's an object lesson. And in verses 9 to 11, the application. Notice, first of all, A, the object lesson in verses 5 to 8. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah's head to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Kind of strange where he had been very angry. Uh, Here he's very happy. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plants so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. So he's back to his original state in the early part of the chapter. Now notice here, to understand this object lesson, Uh. Hopefully uh, there's some complexities here, not too great. But you'll have to put on your thinking cap and follow what I'm saying here. What I'd like you to notice there's there's three analogous situations that, that God has here. He has a comparable judgments, a comparable work to soften those judgments, and the comparable gracious work of God. Let me explain. What God does here, he creates a situation to put Jonah in that is comparable to the Ninevites. See, God wants to drive home to Jonah. This is about my plans, not your plans. What I want's right and what you want's wrong. Jonah's not getting the point. And so what God does is he creates this object lesson so that Jonah could be placed in the shoes, or should I say the sandals of the Ninevites? And uh, that's what goes on here. So let's look at these three comparisons. First of all, notice this comparable judgment. If you look at your text in verse 6, you'll notice that Jonah was experiencing discomfort. So God raised up this leafy plant to protect them. Now, notice the word discomfort. The the word behind this is a Hebrew word. Now, what I'd like you to notice is if you look back to chapter 3, verse 10, the same Hebrew word used there, but you can't tell because you're not using the Hebrew Bible. Um I don't like to say, trust me. I don't trust anybody. But, but friends, I mean, I've, I've looked at back. I've probably got some of this book memorized. I can see it in Hebrew. But look at this same word in verse 10. When God saw what, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction. Now the NIV translators translate this more seriously because an overthrow of them is a little bit more serious than discomfort. But they're the same Hebrew words. Ra'ah. Same term. So notice, we've got an analogous judgment. They had destruction that was going to come on them. Jonah's put in a place where he's facing this discomfort, or may say he might have felt like he was being destroyed. Same Hebrew term. So notice they're in that sense comparable. Notice the second item the comparable work to mitigate, to soften their judgment. Jonah was an object who needed protection from the destructive heat, just as Nineveh was an object who needed protection from the destructive judgment of God. In, in the Middle East, it really gets hot, extremely hot. Now, I can still remember when we went to Israel back in 2000, we had a seminary study tour. So we went to Jericho. We we made the mistake of going there at the end of June, early July. And I'll never forget when we were in Jericho. It's 120 degrees. I mean, I'm just sweating to death. Everybody was sweating to death figuratively speaking. And so we get a little lecture. Now we're under some shade. But friends, I was still sweating. The heat was unbearable. And yet, uh, can you imagine Jonah? That's the type of heat. And if he was, well, I think I wore a hat because I didn't want to face the heat. But even with the hat on, it was unbearable. So the point is, this, this heat is just oppressive. And so... Jonah's in that situation. And in that, he's facing a judgment, an analogous judgment to what the Ninevites were going to face. So what Jonah does here, the leafy plant's not sufficient. So did you notice here how he builds a hut? Well, in building that hut, he's doing that to ease some of his discomfort. So he's got the hut, the leafy plant grows up. Uh, In fact, I might have messed up there and reversed myself. But, But the point is, with the hut that Jonah built, that wasn't sufficient to keep him cool. So God raises up a leafy plant, and it grows up to add additional shade. So Jonah says here how he's glad for this. Well, for Nineveh, uh, they're ready to be destroyed. And uh, what they did to, to uh, protect themselves, they went through this ritual of repentance. They sat in dust and ashes, put on sackcloth and ashes, even on their animals, well, see, it's their human efforts to protect themselves. Jonah in his human effort built his hut to protect himself. And so that's where their human work comes into play. That's comparable. Now, we need to notice the comparable gracious work of God. Did you notice here where God raises up this leafy plant? Verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah's very excited about God's demonstration of grace. The grace is the leafy plant. And he's glad for that. And so Jonah's happy. For the Ninevites... God will have to, is going to spare them completely. That's a work of divine grace. So notice here what God does so Jonah gets the point. So have I lost you on that? You, you got the judgments. You got the works. You got the Ninevites going through this ritual where they put on sackcloth and ashes and sit in dust. Jonah builds himself a hut. Comparable works, or should I say analogous works. And then we have the operations of God's divine grace. God raises up for Jonah this leafy plant. And for the Ninevites, God does not destroy them. That's a demonstration of divine grace. Each gets some grace. Here's where God makes the point to Jonah. Jonah. His demonstration of grace to this proud, arrogant prophet, this leafy plant, that's removed within a day. So when he gets up the next day, he faces the heat. Well, the point is, is the object lesson is that we had comparable situations. What God does is he removes his grace from Jonah. Look at verse 8 again. Not only did he remove the leafy plant, he intensified the heat. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. This east wind is what uh, is referred to as a Sirocco wind. Uh, When we were in Israel... We experienced a little bit of that um, when we were in southern Israel, in the area of Jericho. What happens is when that wind picks up, it intensifies the heat. Um, you know, I haven't been to many desert places except for when we are in Israel. And it's excruciating. Well, what it does is it takes a hot situation and it makes it even hotter. And Jonah's facing that. And as before, you can guess Jonah's reaction. He says, It's be better for me to die than to live. An extremely selfish person. He can't take the heat. By the way, I don't know that I could take the heat either. But God is doing this to put Jonah in this place. So here, God removes his grace to Jonah. To drive home the point of his object lesson. But let's look at the application here in verses 9 to 11. Notice God's question in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Well, notice Jonah's response in the last part of verse 9. It is right for me to be angry about the plant. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Well, the point is, Jonah's just steaming. And this is where God makes his application in verses 10 to 11. They're very important. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. So do you see the grace of God there? He raises up the leafy plant. He then uses this worm to remove it. And it's gone the next day. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Now, if you notice the word in verse 10, you have been concerned you got the same Hebrew verb used in verse 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? Uh, that means they don't have discernment. They, uh, they're just meandering. They have no discernment. And also many animals. Now what I'd like you to notice in verse 10. Jonah had concern about the leafy plant. God challenges him on this. You didn't do anything to make it grow. You experienced his benefits and I removed it to drive home my point. And he says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? That's God's prerogative. It's his grace. Friends, I wonder, do we not love our things more than God at times? I mean, once we raised our family and our kids were gone, life became easier. You're not expending so much money. I Had to get them through college first. But, you know, financially, you're in a little bit better shape. You just—you've lost three people who drained you, as far as food, emotional stamina, uh, uh, all those things that can drive parents nuts. <laughs> so, to me, life became good. It is good. We get to fly to see now. Amy, Mark—they live in our area. We see them regularly, but. We see my son Joshua in Atlanta. I think we flew there two times last year. Uh, I've got another son who's got three three daughters, and they live in Phoenix, Arizona. And we fly there to see them. My wife flies as much as two, I think one year, three times. I go at least once. The great thing about going there is that... Uh, we're not going to stay there and have to discipline their children. I mean, that's the great thing. So we can spoil them and help them become bad and then leave and say, what goes around comes around. (laughs) That's the beauty of it all. But the point is, is, life is good. But do I love life being good more than I love God? Do I love me more than I love other people? Do I love me or even other people more than God? God's the sovereign creator. He had the right to choose who he would show his compassion on. Well, let me draw two lessons here in conclusion. First, This is not a one-time, once-for-all act of submission or some type of experience of brokenness. Though I think Jonah got the point, since he's responsible for the book, I'm convinced that to develop this type of growth in correcting pride, it took a whole lifetime. Friends, it'll take you and I a whole lifetime. Secondly, It is our responsibility to develop and strengthen our submission to the absolute sovereignty of our compassionate God. Friends, God is absolutely sovereign. We are vapor. He's eternal. Friends, we do this by diligent study of God's word, by our fellowship with other believers in our assemblies, and by our active involvement in carrying out all facets of God's expressed moral will. The point is, that's how we grow in correcting spiritual pride. My point this morning is this. Spiritual pride is corrected as we submit ourselves to the absolute sovereignty of our, spiritual, of our compassionate God. That's the point. Spiritual pride is corrected as we submit ourselves to the absolute sovereignty of our compassionate God let's close in prayer our God and heavenly father we thank you for your work of grace in our lives we thank you that you've given us opportunities to serve us to serve you and may we in this learn to submit our pride to you may we be able to say not my will but thy will be done Help us to grow in correcting this perennial problem with pride. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you.